morning. Welcome. Glad you're here. We're excited about God and what he's doing in this place. We're excited what he's going to teach us. We've got a brand new series called Last Words. You can see in the sign and some of the graphics, hopefully. How many got a postcard this week in the mail? Some of you? Cool. We're excited about that. And, you know, one of the things that we're really excited about here is this next steps. And so as I share about that, would you pass the friendship folders? Uh, the next steps gathering is going to be on February 18th. It's going to be in the gym right next door, right after the second service. So about 12:15, free lunch, free lunch, <laughs> free childcare, and all you have to do is RSVP and let us know you're coming. And this is going to be our answer to membership. And so we're going to be asking questions or answering questions about, you know, what's the church believe? What's the vision here? What are our values here? Or how can I get connected? Where are my gifts? And how can I serve here? And so we want to answer those questions and help you take the next step here in your growth. So really excited about that. February 18th, next door in the gym after the second service. All you have to do is RSVP online on our website. Or uh, there's a little insert in the bulletin. You can fill that out and you can drop it in the offering uh, or in the box as you leave. So we're just really excited about that. We want to pack it as many... People just jump in. Even if you're like, I'm not really sure, let us know if you have questions about that because I've had some people ask questions. Questions are great. We love questions. So let us know if you have any questions about that. But as, uh, as the ushers come forward for this morning's offering, just want to kind of tune our hearts to, to the Word of God. So worship is a way we can tune our hearts to God, and, and Scripture is obviously a way we can tune our hearts to God. But 2 Corinthians 9, 7 says, So let each one give as he proposes in his heart. Not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. So as we focus on that verse, let's go before the Lord in prayer. If you're brand new with us this morning, uh, you are absolutely welcome to participate. Uh, This is for those who are regular in the grace of giving. Again, you're welcome to participate. We're just so thankful you're here. God, we love you. We are so just blown away, God, by the truth and that this story of faith in Christianity is not about how we got to you, but it's about how you got to us. God, it's about a, a story and the truth, God, of how you sent your son, Jesus, to the earth, taken on skin, to walk among us, to be broken, to hurt, to, to thirst, to hunger. God, and then to go to a cross and pay the penalty that we couldn't pay. And so, God, when we approach you, we, we trust you, we surrender our lives to you, our debt is paid in full, signed, sealed, and delivered. God, we can't earn a relationship with you. Only by Jesus Christ can we come to you. And so we're just so thankful for that, knowing that the truth of our identity, God, is not in what we do and not in our job, our ability to raise our kids a certain way, God, the way we do things in life. But God, it's only dependent on Jesus. And when you look at us, you only see Jesus, not our failures, not our mess-ups, not our achievements. And so, God, that truth is what we proclaim this morning. And, God, know that your greater kingdom is what we're after. God, your greater picture is what we're after. To see people come to know you. To see your truth reach the far reaches of this earth. And so, God, we give now to that mission, to that vision. God, we want to see that happen. God, there are people here, and, and we want them to know you, God. They're brand new people here with us this morning. God, we're just so thankful that they're here. God, speak to us this morning in only the way that you can speak to us. We love you, Jesus. Thank you for first loving us. In your name, amen. Our Father, Creator, you mold our hearts together. 
as we start our new series, Last Words, I'm reminded that the, the last words, you know, when you, when you get around somebody who's, who's dying and you hear their last words, they're always important, you know. Uh, you you want to write down somebody's last words. You want to know what were they thinking, what was in their head, what was in their heart as you hear their last words. What is so important there? And this morning I want to give you a few other people's last words um, here was Karl Marx. He died on March 14th of 1883. And as he was, uh, as he was winding down, his, uh, his secretary or his assistant actually said, hey, what are your last words? I want to write them down. So she comes back with a pen and paper and he says, go on, get out. Last words are for fools that haven't said enough, all right? And you can imagine that from a man of the nature of Karl Marx. Uh, Richard Mellon, you've heard of the multimillionaire Richard Mellon uh, of the Mellon Foundation of Pittsburgh. He was the president of Alcoa. He and his, he and his brother had a little game of tag going on all their life. He, that for, for years, they would call each other back and forth, tag, you're it, tag, you're it. And so on his last words... He pulled his brother over near his bed and whispered the words, last tag, all right? And then that meant Andrew was it for four more years until he died. Uh, P.T. Barnum, the famous circus, right? P.T. Barnum, his last words were, what are today's receipts? How about that, you know? What are today's receipts? How much did we make today? Napoleon, his last words were, chief of the army, chief of the army. Charles Spurgeon. Baptist preacher that uh, many pastors love to quote. He's, a, he's an incredible guy, uh, great writings. Uh, we still read a lot of him today. His last words were, Jesus died for me. See, see how it tells you a little bit about the inside of their soul, what's happening on the inside of that person. John Wesley, the, uh, the founder of the Methodist movement, his, his famous last words were, the best of all is that God is with us. And so as we see that, we, we see that, that here's a little insight into their soul, into their heart, into who they are. And as we come now, we're going to do a study here of Jesus' last words. And as we look at the last words of Jesus, we're going to, we have recorded in the Scripture the last six hours of his life. Uh, we, we see his public ministry, and then we see the, the trial and up to the crucifixion. He's on the cross for six hours, and we have his last words recorded. So today we're going to start with the book of Luke, chapter 23. We're going to look at, at one of the words each week. And so they're, they're statements. So they're, they're, each one is a, a statement throughout the six-hour period. And the very first one we're going to look at today, we're going to pick up in the Scripture here, Luke 23, verse 27, and we're going to pick up where Jesus is carrying his cross. He's going down what is known as the Via Della Rosa. And as he's going down the Via Della Rosa, he's carrying the cross, and there's a crowd enthroned around him, and there's a few women that are following him, and they're crying. And a great multitude of the people followed him, and women also mourned and lamented him. But Jesus, turning to them, said, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. Uh, Jesus here was saying, he's taking the, the attention, he's saying, Look, I, don't be crying for me. Jesus knew the mission that he was about to go on. He knew that he was about to pay the sin of mankind. And so here he is. He, he understands what he has to do. And he turns to these women who are crying. He says, don't weep for me. But rather, you need to weep for yourselves. And look here why he says to weep for yourself. Um, verse 29. For indeed the days are coming in which they will say, blessed are the barren. Blessed are the wombs that never bore and the breast which never nursed. 
Then they will begin to say to the mountains, fall on us, and to the hills, cover us. For if they do these things in the greenwood, what will be done in the dry? And so what he says here, he's saying, he's saying listen, there is something coming that you, you're gonna, you need to pray for yourself right now. Because the, the nation of Israel, they're not accepting their Messiah. Their Messiah has come, and they're not accepting him by far. They're rejecting the Messiah, and he's seeing the landscape of what's happening here. He sees that these people are in their sin, and they're rejecting the, this, their king, the Messiah. But there's also something else that he can see. Forty years down the road from this, from this moment, uh, roughly 40 years, in AD, 70 AD, he's, he knows about the destruction that would come to Jerusalem. And he's heartbroken for it. And he says, listen, for my people, if only they would understand that the king must suffer uh, and that, that he would pay for their sin, that, that I am the Messiah. If only they would understand who I am. But no, they are going to go through this horrible time. And here it is, it's about to come. And, and it's coming up. Verse 32, Luke takes us down the road a little bit. He says, now there were two other criminals led with him to be put to death. And when they had come to the place called Calvary, some translations put Galgotha, the place of the skull. Uh, what it was, it was a hillside. And as you looked at the hillside, it, it really looked like a skull inside the hillside, it, just a natural landscape. So as you're looking at the hillside from afar, you would see this, this thing that looked like a skull. And he says, down there to Calvary, they crucified him. And the criminals, one on the right hand and the other on the left. And as you're looking, if you were doing a, a, a casual read through, through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you would see that here was Jesus had an incredible ministry. And you wonder, how do we get to this point where he's up on the cross? How do we get from the beginning where it was like God became flesh and made his dwelling among us all the way to the point where he's dying on the cross? Uh, you know, this, this was John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. Uh, this, this is exciting news. But yet he was born of a virgin. He, had never, he never did anything wrong. He had never sinned. He lived a sinless life. Uh, God's will for his life. He knew what God's will for his life. He lived on mission for his life. There was no wrong. He never did anything wrong. You know, um, you, you get hold of his brother Andrew. Get a hold of, I'm sorry, his brother James. If you get a hold of his brother James, James would have told you. And James was always wrote very highly of the Messiah. Uh, and, you know, that's the true test of knowing how good a guy is, right? Ask his brother. His brother will tell you everything about him. And so James, James always gave good reports of, of this guy, of Jesus. He was, there was no wrong. He loved unconditionally. Th that is something that we cannot comprehend, how to love unconditionally. We love with condition. We place love, and then we say, okay, there's no condition. Uh, we're going to add a condition. I'll love you if... And I'll love you well. And then we can't comprehend how that God can love us in our sin. It's just one of those things that we, we're, we're not comprehending this. And the religious leaders of the day, they could not comprehend it. He, was a, he went against the grain of, their, of, of the day. He went against the grain, the religious folks. If there were any people that were enemies, it was the religious people. And, and, they, and he would come against the religious ones and he would tell them that they were hypocrites. He said, you look good on the outside, but on the inside you're rotten. He said, you, you know the scriptures, but you don't know God. And you see, that's, that's a very dangerous zone to be in, where we know the scriptures, but yet we don't know God. And Jesus said, hey, listen, I'm telling you, the, the Pharisees, they don't understand it. They don't understand that I am, that I am the Messiah. And so the, the, they took him to the cross. 
Uh, he didn't come to just preach the law. Instead, he came to fulfill the law. And Jesus does miracles after miracle. He would touch people with blind eyes, and their eyes would become able to see. He would touch the deaf ears, and they would be able to hear. He would even go up to a dead person. He goes up to Lazarus, and he could speak to a dead person and call him back to life. That's pretty powerful. And yet, now, here he is after this big public ministry, after he's done miracle after miracle, and we see God working and working and working, and now he has a dinner, the Last Supper as we know it, and one of the 12 betray him. One of his 12 closest betray him. And, and, uh, and he, goes, he goes to trial, he's taken into a kangaroo court. Uh, and then he stands trial, and then they flog him, and they beat him to the point of open flesh wounds. And the scriptures tell us over in Isaiah, Isaiah said that he, that he would be beaten beyond recognition, and this is what happened. Jesus is beaten beyond recognition as, he pay, as he's going to the cross. They mock him, they take a crown of thorns, and they stick it on his head, and they say, Hail, King of the Jews. And they just mock him. And just imagine the scene uh, 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 that is going on. And yet, through all this time, he's quiet. Through his trial, he's quiet. He was like, like a sheep before his shears. Uh, I mean, it's, it's like here he is. He, he's not responding. He doesn't have to defend himself because he is who he is. He is the Messiah. And the reason that they went after him was because of that very claim to be God, his very claim to forgive, to forgive sins. And so when he went to the cross, um, it, it was for being who he is. And so he didn't say very much throughout the whole trial. Throughout the whole trial, he's relatively quiet, he, he, very few words. It's like he's quiet, he's silent. And then he comes down with the Via Della Rosa, and he, the, the statement he says to the ladies at the via, coming down the Via Della Rosa is, look, don't, don't cry for me. You need to cry for yourself because something big's coming here. And, and he's, he's compassionate on the people of Jerusalem at that point. And then he goes up, they crucify him. And they put a nail in one hand, they put a nail in the other hand, they put a nail between his, uh, uh, the, on his feet, and then they, they take this cross and they, they lift this cross up and they put it into the hole and, and into a hole in the ground and you just, boom, you hear the thug of that go down and you hear this, oh. And here he is, he's being crucified between two criminals. The man who never did anything wrong. He's dying a criminal's death between criminal on the left and criminal on the right. And there our Messiah is. And it's been quiet the whole way. And now in verse 34, he finally speaks. He finally speaks and his words are not what I would start it out with. Look at his words. Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they do. This is his very first words throughout the whole trial. This is it. This is what we have on record. His first word, and they are among his last words. Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. And then they divide his garments and cast lots. They're standing there, they're mocking. And, and imagine, here, here's, here's, here's the Roman soldier just laughing and mocking and, and they're dividing lots and Jesus is like, Father, for, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And, and, he, and he's, he has no energy and he's weak and he's on the cross and he's taking on the sin of mankind. Verse 35, and the people stood looking on, but even the rulers with them sneered saying, he saved others. Let him save himself if he is the Christ, the chosen of God. 
The soldiers also mocked him, coming and offering him sour wine and saying, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. Here's a scene of total mockery. Here's a scene of total disrespect. Here's a scene of, of, of total agony of our Savior. And the first words that come out of his mouth are, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And there's, a, there's a couple things that are just so special about this phrase here, about this, this, one, this last words of Jesus. And I want to give you the first thing this morning, if you're taking notes on the back of your bulletin, is that Jesus fulfilled prophecy. Jesus fulfilled prophecy. 700 years earlier, the prophet Isaiah gives a, give, gives a prophecy. And, and that prophecy is found over in Isaiah 53, 12. It says this, Because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. He's numbered with the transgressors. One on the left, one on the right. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. One man takes on the sin of the world. And here he says that the prophecy is, not only does he take on the sins of the world, but we get down to this. He intercedes. Intercession is a big word that means he prayed for somebody else. And if, I, if that would have been me on the cross, the first thing I would have said would not have been, Father, forgive them, but I would be a little bit more like, Peter, John, where are you guys now? Uh, it's time to put up. I mean, it's time to get out here, boys. Where are you at? And, you know, I'd be tough on my team, wouldn't you? You'd be like, how can I go through this alone? I, I'd, I'd, be, I'd, I'd have other, other things that I'd be all about. But Jesus was not about that. Jesus wasn't condemning anybody on that cross. As a matter of fact, he goes, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they are doing. And this is powerful because it is 700 years earlier. We see this, this prophecy 700 years later. And I just can't help but wonder, these religious people that are mocking him, these religious people that are saying, if he is the king of the Jews, let him save himself, and then they hear him pray on there. I just wonder, as much as they knew the Bible but they didn't know God, I wonder if some of these verses start to come out in their memory. Uh-oh, he intercedes. I, I just can't help but wonder, as they were going through and killing the king of kings and the Lord of lords, was that coming into their mind? Number two, Jesus displayed the value of prayer. Jesus shows the value of prayer. Uh, the whole life of Jesus shows prayer. This is God the Son, and here on the cross, he's praying to God the Father. Father, forgive them. Uh, all throughout his ministry, uh, he opened his ministry in prayer. The uh, Sermon on the Mount, he tells the people in Matthew 6 9, this then is how you should pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name, right? Um, he opens his public ministry in prayer, and what does he do now? He's ending his public ministry in prayer. And what did he pray for? What does, what does he pray for? He doesn't pray for, for deliverance. He prays for the most unlikely enemies. He, he prays for the people that are perpetrating him. He prays for the people that are very harming him. And have you ever thought about people in your life like that? Have you ever looked at people in your life and say, well, you know what, they're, they're too hard of a nut to crack. I, and you give up praying for them. And, and God wants us to keep praying. And I want to encourage you, what Jesus showed us here is this. Never, ever, ever give up praying for someone. Never, ever, ever give up praying for someone. Why? Because God answers prayer. You know, sometimes we get discouraged because we haven't seen the answer to prayer. 
But in this situation, I want you to catch this because there was a huge answer to prayer. He's, he's on the cross. These people are killing him. They're crucifying him. And he is not taking up anything of his own. He is not praying for himself. He's not praying for endurance. He is praying for these people. And he says, Father, forgive them. And I want to show you how the prayer was answered. First of all, one of the Roman soldiers who had been standing by and mocking him for the entire six hours after Jesus dies on the cross, he comes over and he looks at him and he says, truly, this was the Son of God. You see, when they put him on the cross, he's laughing. He's mocking him. He is, he is casting lots for, their, for his clothes. And now this soldier is like, this was the Son of God. This was no ordinary crucifixion. Do you realize in the Roman crucifixion, there, there were crucifixions that happened weekly. This was not like, hey, we're going to have one crucifixion, Jesus with two criminals. It was like, no, there was always criminals. And criminals were there every week. And there are hundreds literally hundreds, maybe even some say thousands of people that were crucified by the Roman, by, by, by Roman crucifixion. as a brutal, painful way to die. And it's meant for a criminal. And, and they would put them up so that all could see. But here's Jesus, and, the, and the, the, the soldier has a change of heart. He has a change of heart. Jesus hadn't even risen from the dead yet, and he has a change of heart. Then fast forward over to uh, Acts chapter 2. Acts 2.41 uh, we're talking maybe 50, 60 days later, somewhere in that area, uh, that here is Peter. He stands up and he tells the people, he says, you, have, you are the ones responsible for killing Jesus. It, you are the ones who have, have killed Jesus. You're, you're responsible. You yelled, crucify him. Some of you were in the crowd that day. And here's what he says, Acts 2.41, then those who gladly received his word were baptized. Now, just, I want to say something there about baptism. Baptism is an outward sign of an inward decision. What he's saying here is that those who received his word, they accepted Christ, they made an outward decision, they got baptized. Man, they, they told the world. And I want to encourage you, if you have not yet been baptized, it's time. It's time to make an outward, outward profession. Go, go stop by our welcome center and let them know, hey, I need to be baptized. They'll take your information. We'll line it up. I, I have a prayer. I want to see our church baptize somebody every Sunday. Wouldn't that be exciting? I, I would, I'd like for you to pray with me about that. Let's pray and let's just ask God, hey, let us reach people. Let's make disciples who will make disciples who will make disciples. And as we do that, they're going to come to God and they'll follow God. And we just start seeing this happen all the time where people are making their profession of faith public. Start to pray about that. But uh, those who gladly received his word were baptized. And that day, about 3,000 souls were added to them. 3,000 souls. So, so Jesus is on the cross. Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they are doing. And what does God do? Many of those people that were in the crowd that day come to Christ. Many of those perpetrators come to Christ. We see Roman soldiers come to Christ. Cornelius later comes to Christ. It's incredible. And so here's Jesus. He's on the cross. His hands are nailed to the cross. He can no longer take his hand and touch the blind and cause him to be able to see. He can no longer take his hand and touch the deaf and cause them to be able to hear. He can no longer give a sermon. He can't even speak very much. We're going to hear his last words through this series. And the first one is, Father, forgive them. And we see his reliance on the Father. We see his dependence on prayer. 
And so if we, if God prayed, if Jesus prayed on the cross, he is God, then we should be praying too. Uh, The third thing this morning is that Jesus shows us our greatest need is forgiveness. On the cross, he showed us his greatest need. Now, let me tell you a few things he didn't pray for. He didn't pray for healing. Uh, You know, Jesus healed all throughout his ministry, but he didn't pray for healing. Uh, He didn't pray for deliverance. He delivered all throughout his ministry, but he never prayed for his personal deliverance on the cross that day. He didn't say, Lord, come take me off this cross Uh, like you and I would have, right? That would have been our first recourse. He was praying for man's most important need, and the most important need is forgiveness. That's why he came. Luke tells us that Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. That's who we are. Matthew 26, 28, for this is the blood of my covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. He took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, drink of it for all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. He he says, this, I want you to do this, I want you to remember me. He had taken, it was a Passover meal. They didn't know it was the Last Supper. We look at it, you know, in your, in your Bible, there's a heading that says the Last Supper. Uh, they didn't know it was the Last Supper. They were, they were preparing for Passover, and they were celebrating with their master. And their master said, hey, he took some elements that were there. He said, hey, this is my blood. This is my body. And he was symbolic. This juice, this, this wine, this is my blood. I want you to drink in remembrance of me. You see this? This, this unleavened bread? This is my body. I want you to eat in remembrance of me. And so he would give them that. It was all about making a picture for him to show the reason that he came was for forgiveness. But what about that statement? For they don't know what they're doing. They don't know what they're doing. Does ignorance mean that uh, they should be granted forgiveness based on ignorance? And I'm going to say no. Ignorance does not equal innocence. All right? Ignorance does not equal innocence. If you get pulled over, and if you go out and you're, you're speeding, and the, and the police pulls you over, and he says, do you realize that you were doing 75 in a 35-mile zone? And you say, oh, officer, I didn't realize I was going that fast. What, the, what does the officer do? He says, well, you'll remember from here out. Here's a ticket. I'll see you later, right? Uh, if, you, if you're turning, you know, you're, you're turning um, left from a, from, a, from, a, from the wrong lane, you're, you're trying to, you know, go over, you're in the right lane, you're trying to turn left across all these cars, you're going to get a citation. This is what happens, right? And whether you were, whether you realized it or not, you're ignorant. You're, you're, you may be ignorant to it, but you're still guilty. Well, here, these men who were taking him down, who were nailing Jesus to the cross, they were guilty. And let me show you what they were ignorant of. They were ignorant of the fact that Jesus is the Messiah. They mocked him. Um, in Luke 23, 27, they said, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. This crowd was mocking Jesus. They, they called down, uh, you know, telling them to call angels down and save yourself. They were ignorant of their own actions. Look at their actions. They parted his garments. We, we just read that a few minutes ago. They parted his garments. But what they were ignorant of is that that would be a fulfillment of Scripture. Over in Psalm twenty-two, eighteen. Look at this. This was foretold before, way before this happened, that they would divide my garments among them and my clothing, and for my clothing they would cast lots. Wow. Do, do you see how all this is coming together here? They, they were ignorant to what was going on, but they were still part of the deal. They, they gave him vinegar to drink. 
They gave him vinegar to drink. Psalm 69, 21. This was also foretold. For they also gave me gall for my food. And for my thirst, they gave me vinegar to drink. I, I want you to think about that because th- these, are, these are some pretty powerful things. These are fulfillments. Uh, but they, they, they were innocent. No, no, they were not innocent. They were guilty. They were ignorant, but not innocent. They, they, cruci- they, were cruci- uh, they crucified Jesus with their transgressors. We looked at that already in Psalm 53, 12. It says that, that and, and he for- portrayed that 700 years ago prophesied, that his, that his soul be put to death because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. See, he was numbered with the transgressors between, between the thieves. Do you know what Jesus is saying when he's up here on the cross? He's saying when he's praying, he's praying, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. He's saying, Father, my people don't understand. My people don't understand. They are ignorant. I am dying for them. They don't know what to do. They don't know what they are doing. But I know what I am doing. I am dying in their behalf. Now, Father, I ask you to forgive them. I know what I'm doing for them. And as we look at this, not only do we see this great thing of how he forgives us sin, but he also gives us a way to live life. You know, when somebody tells you their last words, it just oozes out the, the heart. And, and, you know, maybe you've been around somebody that's passed in your family and you, you, have, you remember their last words and it's like, wow, you always remember that and you want, you want to live up to that. Well, I want us to live up to these things that Jesus is telling us. And he says here, this is a way for us to live. That's the fourth thought in your notes. Jesus gives us a way to live from his, from his last words. And here's what the way to live is. Pray for those who hurt you. Pray for those who hurt you. Um, that, that's not the way that I am naturally re, uh, trained to live, are you? Somebody hurts you, how do you respond? I'm going to hurt you back. You jab at me once, I'm going to jab at you twice, right? That's how we're trained. It's, you know, you don't, don't, let, don't let them take, what, advantage of you, right? So boom, boom. Jesus said early on in his ministry, Luke 6, 28, he says, bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. Pray for those who spitefully use you. This was the words of Jesus. And when he's on the cross, he's just not preaching it, he's living it. He's not just giving you a good sermon on the mount, he's living the sermon on the cross. And today, I want to encourage us to go ahead and to learn how to pray for those who hurt us. Because, again, we typically want to give back. We typically want to eat, get even. We want to dig in, and we want to win. And I heard a, heard a story about a guy. He, he had rabies. He, he, he got bit by a stray dog. And, you know, the guy got bit by a stray dog, and, the, uh, you know, he didn't go to the doctors right away. And, and, you know, typical guy, that's what we do, right? You know, we don't go to the doctors right away. We're like, I can handle this, it'll be all right. Well, he had, he had, to, had to bite from the dog, and he's doctoring it. And he notices that things are getting out of hand. He's not feeling the best. And so he goes to the doctor. He explains that he was bit by a stray dog. And so the doctor says, well, unfortunately, we're going to have to do this test on the rabies. And so he comes back to get his consult about the rabies test. And the doctor says to him, unfortunately, I have to confirm that you have rabies. This is not a good situation. 
This is a terminal situation. However, had you come in just a few, few weeks earlier, a few days earlier, we might have been able to help you because we have treatment for rabies in that, in that shorter time frame. And while he's doing that, the man was taking out a list, and, and he had a pen and a paper, and he's writing a list. He had about 10 names on the list. And the doctor said, oh, I see you're writing down some names. Or, are these the people that you want notified in case of emergency contact? He goes, no. He says, well, are, are these the people that, uh, that, that you're going to go around and say your goodbyes to? He says, no. He says, well, who are these people? He says, oh, I'm just making a list of the people that I'm going to go bite now. Okay? And that's really what happens, isn't it? We want to take it. You hurt me, you're going to feel my pain. Uh, you bite me, that dog bit me, I got the disease. Well, these people, they've been holding it on me all my life, and I'm going to go get them back now. And I can finally win. And you see, that's, typically, that's typical how we want to be. We want the other person to feel the pain. We want, we, want, we want to get the last word in. We want to win. We want to be the victor, right? Well, Jesus won on the cross, first of all. He won on the cross. And, and even on the cross, Jesus was not about to get bitter. He was not the, about to retaliate. This is what we want to do. We want to retaliate all the time. And you see, here's what happens. When somebody hurts us, they, they, they take something from us. It may not be something physical, uh, but quite often they'll rob us of something. They rob us of happiness, reputation. They may rob us of opportunity. They may rob us of your freedom. Um, you know, these are the type of things, and those things hurt. They hurt way more than if somebody stole stole a, a, a belonging, right? And so there's a sense that these perpetrators must uh, incur a debt, that, that it must be dealt with. And so what happens is we make this list, and these people here, I have a debt, they have a debt that they owe me. In the meantime, we've forgotten about the debt that we have with God. So here we go. The first, the first option that we want to do, and this is typical, we want the perpetrators to suffer for what they have done to us. Those people that have hurt us, we want them to suffer. We go in and we hold them hostage uh, emotionally from us. We cut them off. We, just, we, we do whatever it takes so that, that they know that I am upset, that I have gotten back, that I have fought hard, and that I am going to make them feel the pain. You hurt me, you're going to feel the pain. I'm going to hurt you back. And that's okay. You can live like that. Um, however, there's some serious problems with that then the problems are that you can become harder, colder, more self-pitying, and therefore more self-absorbed. You see, what happens when we don't forgive somebody else, we're the ones that become hostage. We're the ones that are self-absorbed. We're the ones that are living in the bitterness. They're going free whether you like it or not. And you want them to feel that pain. You want, them to feel, you, want, you want to hit them harder, right? Well, that isn't going to make a difference because you're the one who needs set free. And so when, when you try to get payment through revenge, uh, the, the evil doesn't disappear. You come back to give revenge, that evil doesn't disappear. What they did to you does not disappear. All it does is it spreads and gets larger into your character and you get hurt more and more and more. Well, there's another option. And that option is that you can forgive. And listen, forgiveness is this. Forgiveness means refusing to make them pay for what they did. As Jesus was on a cross, he refused to make those perpetrators pay for what they were doing to him. He forgave them. 
Father, forgive them. He refused to make them pay. Forgiveness means refusing to make the other person pay for what they did to you. However, to refrain from lashing out at someone when you want to do so with all your being is agonizing, is agonizing, is it not? It's, it's a form of suffering. And, and so we, 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 we want to inflict the same suffering on them that they've inflicted on us. And so as we come to this, we see that there has to be a death. So when we go through this suffering, there is a death. So we go through the suffering, and what has to happen is a death of self. I'm not going to win. I'm going to realize that they have hurt me and I am suffering and I will not be able to deal with this suffering by making them suffer. I have to go through the pain, through the agony, through the death. But there is life on the other side of that suffering. You see, what we want to do all the time is we want to say, you hurt me, I'm going to hurt you back. And somehow we think that there's life after that. But let me share with you, there's no life after that. That's death. And it just keeps repeating and repeating and repeating. But when somebody else has hurt you and you come back and you say, okay, I am not going to make them pay. I am not going to make them pay for what they did to me. And you're able to, you're able to get freedom. And you go through that pain. Yes, what they did to you was painful. What they did to you was harmful. But you now go through this time of agony. And on the other side is life. Jesus modeled it for us on the cross. He goes through agony. He goes through really death, physical death. But three days later, he rises again. Three days later, there's victory. People start coming to Christ. He did it for them. And so I want to encourage you to be able to come and and, and learn to forgive because that's it. We pray. We pray about it. Uh, C.S. Lewis said this in, in one of his letters to Malcolm. He said this, Last week, while at prayer, I suddenly discovered, as, as, uh, or, or, felt as I, if, or felt as if I did, that I had really forgiven someone I have been trying to forgive for over 30 years, trying and praying that I might. Pray for those who hurt you. That's it. Do you, do you see how the... Uh, no, no revenge. In the context of Jesus' day, it was eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth. Uh, as, as a matter of fact, there was uh, the, the Romans. They, they had a, a false god uh, known as Nemesis, and uh, ne- nem- a false goddess, Nemesis, and she was known for revenge. And, and, and so even the Romans understood revenge, revenge. Uh, look what Jesus said here. Jesus said this in Matthew 5, Uh, 43 and 44, he says, you have heard that it was said. And and who said that, by the way? He says, you have heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. He was referring to Moses. If you go through and look at the the law, Moses set up this thing to love your neighbor. So they would love the Israelites. They would love your neighbor. But the enemies, they dealt with their enemies harshly. Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. And and so here he is. Jesus says here... You've heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemies. That's why the the religious people were after him. They were like, how dare you mess with Moses? Moses, Moses was like the big name in the Jewish people, right? How dare you mess with what Moses said? And look what he continues here. He says, but I say to you, I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, and do 
Do what? Do what? You're with me? Do what? Is it not big enough? Do good. Do good to who? Those who hate. Jesus, I have an objection. I can't do that. And that's why God said my standard is much higher than the standard of Moses. My standard was higher than the Ten Commandments. You couldn't even keep Ten Commandments, yet alone love your neighbor. You've got to come to Jesus. And so when I come to Jesus and say, God, I just can't do that, but I need your help. And God, I'll pray for them, and I'll just start following you. And I'll let you change me. And when I start to take this and apply this to my life, love your enemies, bless those who curse you. But pray for those who spitefully use you, for those who persecute you. Now we can be like Jesus. When I pray for others, I'm praying for them. And you know what? Sometimes when I pray for others and I'm asking God to help those who've hurt me, that's painful. I, I don't like that, right? My flesh doesn't like it. But when I do it, I find that my prayer for others may not change others, but it changes me. And that person that hurt you, that person who said that, who did that, who, who you're keeping a record of, I want to remind you that God keeps no record on you. In the book of Psalms, we see that our sins are forgiven as far as the east is from the west. And so I have a record of thousands and thousands of sins. And so do you. But God says, I see no record. Because he forgave you. So this morning, I want to ask you to take those people in your life and ask God. And say, Lord... I need you to help me let go of that record because I want to get even. Oh, but here's how you do it. How in the world do you do this? How in the world do you forgive somebody who's hurt you? First of all, you have to be forgiven. You've got to keep coming back and realizing that your record has been set free. Your righteousness is as filthy rags. So anything good that you thought you had, God says it's not good enough. And God has said, I have cleansed the record by my son Jesus on the cross. He paid it once for all forever. You come and you start to assume that. You see, if, I, if I've been freed of this debt, how dare I hold a debt on you? How dare I come and hold a debt on my neighbor because I've been freed of this ultimate death that, that I should be separated from God forever and ever, but I'm going to hold a debt because somebody said this or somebody did that or somebody hurt me. They took this or they said, wow. God says, as I have forgiven you. Now, check this out. Over in um, Romans 12, verse 17 and 18, the apostle Paul says this, do not repay anyone evil for evil. Don't repay anybody evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. In other words, be encouraging to everybody. Help along the way here. Uh, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. He says, from your perspective, from your part, you've got to do what it takes to make peace. But I don't want to be the first one to move. They hit me first. They should be asking my apology. He says, as far as it is possible, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you. There's nothing in the scripture that depends on you. You can't earn your way to heaven. He's saying here, from your perspective, from your responsibility, as it depends on you, you take action. Wow. Live at peace with everyone. This is my calling, to live at peace with everyone. Uh, Colossians 3.13 says this. 
Bear with each other. I love that. Bear with each other. I, the, the Ken Barner translation is put up with each other, okay? Put up with each other. Tolerate each other. Because everybody's not like you. Aren't you glad? There's only one of me. I can't only handle that. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. And forgive as the Lord forgave you. Father, forgive them. For they know not what they're doing. Let's close in prayer. With our heads bowed and eyes closed this morning, the first step is to come and get forgiveness from God. Maybe your account has not been taken care of. Maybe you have not opened your heart to trust Christ and, and that account needs to be settled. May I invite you to settle that this morning? The old account was settled long ago, down at the cross. And I invite for you now to come to the Lord. And if that's you, I want to invite you to, to just respond to the King, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, to Jesus this morning and say, Dear Jesus, just, just tell him something like this. Dear Jesus, I'm a sinner. And I need you to forgive my account. I come and I humbly ask you, Lord, to forgive me of my sin. You died on the cross. You paid for my sin. And you came back to life again for me. I'm trusting you now, Lord. And I invite you into my life right now. God, be with me. Encourage me. Help me to learn and grow in you. Thank you for giving me eternal life today. For others, maybe the last words of Jesus have just spoken into your heart this morning to forgive. Maybe you've been retaliating, you've been all about revenge, you've been eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, but God says, let's go to something higher. But I say, love your enemies, love those that don't act like you, that don't look like you, that don't think like you. Love those that have hurt you. This morning, may I invite you to come back to the cross. Stop taking it on your own and ask Him for His power. I ask you to pray for your enemies who have hurt you. I ask you to pray for restoration. Let God be God. Because when you let Him work in your life, you don't have to get even. You don't have to win. You get freed. And that's more, more exciting than winning is to be free. Father, be with your people. Lord, help us as we respond to you. Lord, for all of us, we deal with this. We, we need forgiveness from God. And Lord, we need to learn to forgive others. But we can't do it in our own strength. And I thank you, Lord, that out of your last words on the cross, you started with forgiveness. And I thank you for that incredible loving word that you gave to us. That I forgive you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. As we close, as we stand and sing our closing song, if you'd like to come and kneel and pray, feel free to do so. Let's respond to the greatness of our God this morning.